I'm not sure that we're going to necessarily repeat the, the historical paradigm that we've seen. And so the question is, is there some sort of planned reset? They now have to keep printing or we crash. We've got this ticking time bomb. Talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire. Welcome to Live from the Vault. Welcome to Live from the Vault. My name is Shane Moran, and I'll be your host for this week's episode. And I'm not in the vault again today. I'm in Dubai. It's amazing. Everything gold in Dubai here. And from the entire Live from the Vault team worldwide, we want to thank you for your continued support. And as you can imagine, the community keeps growing more and more every single week. And there's a lot to talk about during these historic times. And Andrew McGuire is in the house with an industry expert by popular demand, the one and only Dave Kranzler, no stranger to the Life in the Vault team. And uh, uh, here we go. We're going to be talking gold uh, with Dave. It's going to be really exciting. You're not going to want to miss this. It's going to be an amazing episode. Uh, nobody wants to miss these episodes. And Life in the Vault, you know, why is that? Because we give you access to information and updates that you just can't get anywhere else. And this episode is no exception. So just before we go to Talking Gold with Andrew McGuire and our special guest, Dave Kranzler, please help us keep spreading the word uh, about this channel by hitting the like button, by sharing it, by hitting that subscribe button. And you can also, don't forget, click on that bell if you want to be notified in real time as each episode goes live. So let me introduce our special guest. For those that haven't met Dave, Dave Kranzler is no stranger to Live from the Vault, and he's a hedge fund manager, a precious metals analyst, and the author of a bi-weekly subscription newsletter called The Mining Stock Journal. And so after years of trading uh, expertise he's built up on Wall Street, uh, Dave now co-manages a Denver-based precious metals and mining stock investment fund to help people understand the truth about our financial system and economy. And with that, let's head over to the UK and talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire and our special guest, Dave Kranzler. Over to you, Andy. It is, obviously, this is a major, major good day for me. Uh, perfect timing. Look at what's going on in the markets. Who do we have here? Dave Kranzler. Thank you, Dave, for joining us today. It's a very, very important day, I think. Thanks for having me back on again. I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> I say it's a good thing. Hopefully I won't jinx what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It's nice. I think, um, you know, our subscribers get a lot of information from our side of the pond. You know, um, the wholesale markets, one thing. And, you know, obviously we look at the COMEX too, but... But um, you bring a, a wealth of, of uh, experience and uh, information. Uh, really, it's all about pieces of the jigsaw. And, you know, it's about education. I know you're about education. You have a service that provides education um, on, on multiple uh, subjects, um, including the miners, etc., which we tend to lack on. And um, so I was wondering if... Um, can we start um, with the miners? Because I think I know that I had a lot of questions. And I said, don't worry, I'll get Dave to come back and we'll talk about some, we'll talk about the miners a little bit. <laughs> what, what are you seeing after this? Th th literally, I just figure we had an entire third quarter of heavy action, strong dollar um, uh, and uh, the, inver the, the inverse correlated uh, selling gold and silver versus every tick of the of the of the dollar. So, mm -hmm. what what are you seeing as far as the miners are concerned? 
I mean, the, the miners, you know, with the with the sell-off in the stock market really since the beginning of the year, and it intensified this spring, and uh, clearly, you know, it was all, what was going on in gold and silver was driven by the paper market, right? The hedge funds were shorting stock futures, shorting silver, because silver is supposed to be correlated with the stock market, because everyone knows it's an industrial metal. Um, <laughs> And uh, same thing with gold futures, you know, shorting those and going along the dollar and, you know, also presumably shorting the euro and uh, the yen against that. So, uh, you know, for me, the price, the, the price that we're observing, you know, and this has been my thesis for quite some time. I mean, it's 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 a it's a dual market, right? It's a physical market and a paper market, paper derivatives market, you know, that operate out of London and New York. Plus, plus the OTC derivatives that, I mean, those that's the most opaque market. I mean, we have no idea what those contracts look like. I'll bet you Jamie Dimon couldn't tell you what the contracts look like that, that J.P. Morgan um, has underwritten and is exposed to. So, um, you know, for me, what's been going on in the paper market is completely divergent from what I'm seeing and what you're seeing and a lot of other people are seeing in the physical market. Uh, in fact, Reuters just put out an article yet yesterday or maybe the day before and it talked about how there's low vault supplies from the bullion banks in London that supply the Eastern Hemisphere and they've been diverting bullion from India which is now going through its, its most active buying period of the year seasonally and diverting that to China and Turkey. Turkey's been the largest um, central bank buyer of gold this year, remarkably. So, um, you know, clearly there's something's got to give here. And it, it feels to me, you know, and as you kind of reference, you know, there's excitement going on right now. It kind of feels to me like we may be reaching a tradable bottom, even with the manipulation that goes on in the paper market. And um, you know, the mining stocks specifically, you know, especially last week, completely outperformed the broad stock indices, even when the broad indices were, I mean, even like last week, even when the S&P 500 was getting hammered on Thursday and Friday, the mining stocks were up. So, um, I, I think that, you know, it could be, you know, and I, I mean... <laughs> It's been a it's been a rough period, really, since August of 2020, when when we peaked after the 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 March 2020 bottom and all that QE was dumped in. Um, it's been a rough go of it, and the mining stocks. I I really didn't think we would see the Amex Gold Bug Index, which is affectionately known as the Huey, or uh, the Huey, as Craig Hemke likes to call it. Uh, I I didn't think it would go back below 200, but I mean. I think earlier, you know, within the last month or month and a half, I, I think it got down to like, I want to say 170. But, um, and that, and that's that's when I started, actually, less than a month, it was actually last week, it, it closed at 175, and now it's back up, you know, over 200, and it hit 210 yesterday, so... Um, Part of that is is in correlation with what happened in the stock market Monday and Tuesday, and I think part of it is, I just think the, the you know 
we're going to start to see capital that gets diverted into, and whether it's the paper version of gold and silver or not, it's still is going to end up putting more pressure on the physical market. Um, and I think we're going to start seeing capital gravitate towards the precious metal sector as a flight to safety, similar to what we saw in um, the fall of 2008, if you recall. I mean, if you look at the charts, it's they're remarkably similar. I mean, the dollar shot up all summer long as the financial markets were melting down. Gold got just annihilated between March and October, gold and, gold and silver, silver worse. And um, out of nowhere, gold and silver bottomed in late October and started moving higher. A week later, the mining stocks started moving higher and GDX more than doubled in the last two months of 2008. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to see that pattern repeat again identically, but it sure feels very similar. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, you just you just said, I mean, you just used the, the, the number 2008. I literally have just done an episode and we did exactly the same thing. We were looking at the how close this was. And, and although it might be slightly different reasons, I mean, we had what the Bank of England uh, last Monday coming out and turning on the QE fire hose. And as if that's not going to affect Europe, the US, every other market, all interconnected, of course. So, so bearing in mind that, that in 2008, in June 2008, I think it was, um, the uh, Bank of England was the, was the first to turn QE on. And then we saw the explosion across the globe. I think gold was about 640 bucks or whatever. It's 630 bucks or whatever it was at, back in uh, 2008 at that point. And then we saw an almost exponential rise as uh, these these sort of this QE uh, fire hose started to um, really depreciate uh, currencies versus paid for gold and silver. That's right. Um, you know, I don't, I mean, obviously the Bank of England turned the spigot on last week. I, I, I don't know if the Fed's playing a pretty pretty good game of poker here, if it it really intends to follow through with what it's saying it's going to do. And, you know, maybe part of that's going to depend on what happens with Credit Suisse. Or, I mean, Credit Suisse isn't the only European or U.S. bank that is capable of blowing up at any moment. Um, so... And quite honestly, I would not be surprised if the central banks are addressing Credit Suisse out of our sight. I, you know, I have to imagine they learned their lesson the first time around in 2008. Um, I, I do think there will be some some blowups that come out of left field that they won't have foreseen and won't have been able to monetize ahead of time. And I mean, that, that could happen this year. I mean, to me, what's what's most remarkable is the fact that you've seen these just massive moves in in uh, dollar contra currencies like the yen, the pound, the euro, and and um, you know a massive move in the dollar index, massive moves in oil and and other energy products, and yet we haven't really heard of any big hedge fund or or bank blowups. And you know that there's a massive amount of derivatives that are wrapped around you know all of those trades. And all of those securities, and and that that magnify the volatility and the risk of it. So, 
um, I have to believe that there's there's clandestine monetization of blowups going on before they hit, you know, before the public becomes aware of them. Yeah, and of course, emerging market issues. I mean, UK is now in a bloody emerging market too. Um, <laughs> we all are now. <laughs> I think so. I think the last time that we, I, you know, I talk to people all the time, and the last time they say, yeah, yeah, look at the dollar, you know, yeah, yeah, gold's volatile. Now, hang on a minute. No, no, it isn't. You take, you go, you pull up a chart from. Um, from uh, and you can go back as, as far as you want, but but even if you go shorter term, in the last time the dollar index went over 110, went to 114, um, was that's 20 odd. It's almost it's slightly almost 21 year highs, but let's say 20 to 21 year highs. But gold was 315 bucks then. It was 250 dollars pounds in gold. I mean, so you suddenly realize. Yes, there's a sort of friction there. There's a, there's a coordination, but look look at the, there is a dislocation too. And I think people often think, well, dollar's going up, I have to sell gold. I have to sell silver, I'm a hedge fund manager. And of course it's these this herd of hedge fund managers that are the problem. They just don't get the divergence that you just talked about between the paper and the physical market. And they one to one sell. We see it all the time, selling, you know, gold futures, silver futures, tick for tick against any rise in the dollar. It's amazing. But I guess the question I was going to come up with there is: Do you think there has to be a coordinated effort to devalue the dollar? Um, the, the Plaza Accord was back in the eighties. That's the last time. I, I think I can remember where the dollar was devalued on, on a bit. What, what do you think, Dave? Is that possible? Or? I, you know, that's a good question. Um, the, the only, I mean, I would think maybe at some point, although I have to believe that the U.S. deep state actually is okay with what's going on with the dollar because it reaffirms its, status as the reserve currency right and obviously that's under serious threat from russia and china <laughs> so yeah that i think that the problem with thinking that it's guaranteed that there's going to be you know another plaza accord or you know some type of coordinated devaluation of the dollar to like you know try and put trade international trade on a more equal footing uh is I think everyone kind of thinks the paradigms that we've seen since, well, really, I guess since the, the Fed was founded in 2013, I mean, <laughs> 1913, not 2013. Um, I, I think everyone thinks those same paradigms are going to repeat, you know, which means we're going to have central bank driven, credit driven uh, boom and bust periods, right? Because that, that's basically what we've seen. I mean, the, the boom and bust periods have all been driven by, I mean, really, the, the dollar wasn't even technically, wasn't 100% gold-backed by the time the Fed was, was founded in, in 1913. Um, and it certainly was um, more de-backed by gold when FDR, um, you know, outlawed public ownership of gold in this country. So um, I, I'm not... 
I'm not sure that we're going to necessarily repeat the, the historical paradigm that we've seen. And so the question is, is there some sort of planned reset, which, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll devalue the dollar. It'll basically take, you know, the dollar out of existence. So for the most part, so, um, I, I, I don't know, it, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, clearly the central banks are backed into a corner. It's, it's death by massive depression or death by hyperinflation. So that, that's why I, I kind of think, you know, all these theories, rumors, conspiracies about a grand reset being put in, you know, starting to unfold, I, you know, there could be some truth to that. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think um, the, back, we're talking about the 80s, we're talking a whole different situation there because now we have, and especially when we relate gold and silver uh, to what's going on with the other crosses that we all the other crosses that we that comprise the price ultimately the price and I think we didn't have a physical market then at all it, it was just purely paper to paper there was no Basel III um, NSFR standards for gold um, silver was absolutely cash settled at all times it was a you know you got the ETFs in place to flywheel any any kind of uh, delivery concerns you just didn't deliver you just created shorts um, and I think it's interesting because we get, we sometimes forget and we get sort of wrapped up in our, in our own world of which is you know day to day and yet on the other side there is a physical the physical exchanges are increasingly sucking liquidity out of the paper markets as people wake up to the fact you know and and look we've just ignored we've ignored nato um red line russia's nato red lining uh, in march and what happened now they're ignoring russia's red line warning of nuclear r war uh, i mean you know people i know that people on this side of the continent every single german client i know is buying every ounce of gold they can. It is so tight for supply. Um, Asian buyers, much Indian buyers, all buying gold and silver, very large in silver too. Why? Why? Because they know that anything tangible into these into this high risk fiat world, you just need to nail it down. And really, was we're restricted by the amount of physical at this price in both gold and silver that is even put on offer because there's so little that wants to be put on offer at this price and so therefore we're seeing these premiums rise and rise and rise and i think you must see it your side of the world too uh yeah I, you know i i don't i i don't like to look at what's going on in the retail physical market with with you know dealers because I think that, I think to some extent, you know, people blame it, the, the high premiums on the dealers, which is BS, it's not, it's not how the industry works. They're not, they're not making that $30 spread on a Silver Eagle. Um, it, it's really kind of at the wholesale level where, where the, I think the big markup's coming. But, you know, clearly those premiums are there because there's a lot more demand at the retail level for physical metal then there is supply, but I think that's intentional. I think when the physical supply of gold and silver get tight at the wholesale and institutional level, I think the banks, you know, put the mints on allocation or cut them off completely. And I think that's that's part of what's going on. Yeah, certainly it's it's 
the fact that people are still willing to pay the, the big premiums at the retail level tells you, you know, similar to what you're seeing in Germany, people are trying to accumulate physical metal here. Um, but what I think, to me, what's going on that is very interesting to watch is what the bank positioning is doing on the COMEX. Because I think it was, I don't know, June or July that the, the COMEX banks went net long paper silver, right? And so that net long meaning their, their gross long position is exceeds their gross short position. That doesn't happen very often, but it, and, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger in terms of their net long. And of course, the hedge funds were taking the other side. However, uh, the hedge funds also, and it, this is even more rare than when it happens in silver, the hedge funds went net short paper gold. Then they covered it up, I think, in, in August, maybe, uh, during that market rally that we had, the overall market. And now they're, they're net short paper gold again, and a lot more net short. And on the other side of that, the hedgers and the banks are aggressively covering their net short position. And it's, it's, it's happening every week now. And also the open interest in, in paper gold on the COMEX is starting to bleed off quite a bit, which, you know, as you point out, um, the physical market, you know, that's a, an example of the physical market draining liquidity from the paper markets. And I, I think what's going on there is, is um, I, I don't think the banks are necessarily making a speculative bet per se in, in gold and silver. Uh, you know, I think they make money trading gold and silver contracts no matter what, and the hedge funds are easy marks. I, I think, you know, I think they're worried about, you know, at some point being called on their short position in in the derivatives market, the paper market. So that's why I think they're battening down the hatches on their on their exposure, at least on the COMEX, their exposure to being short. Yeah, and and while they tick for tick, and, and we've noticed the footprints just like you, tick for tick, uh, where we see, and ultimately, when you see, say, uh, correlated, and, and these, you know, obviously, these HFTs are designed to lead the neutral algos by the nose, and and they know exactly how to the head to how to move the hedge fund managers from from like the herd from pillar to post, and so as we see tick for tick. The dollar uh, dollar rising and the and these um, uh, short sell orders coming coming into the market. I think what people forget is that's a naked short position. It is backed by a a long dollar position. But but as you say, on the other side of that trade is the house, and and the house will win on, in this situation. Always win in it's a casino, right? So they're going to they're going to win ninety five percent of the time. As any good casino will will have a ninety five percent win ratio and they'll leave you 5% on, on, on the side. But I think people forget that, that this is actually, this is actually while they can cover, while the house can cover this game that goes on in this siloed world where you've got the oxygen pumping in, nobody's looking at the real price, nobody's even looking at it because as I had to get rid of all my clients in 2013, all my US clients because they were banned from trading over the counter markets. Um, so therefore, you're now forced and siloed into this world of the casino where you can't even, whereas the, the, the whereas, as we know, <laughs> the market makers uh, have a foot in both camps. So, you know, so, so they can trade in both markets. And I think what, what was, what I think what a lot of people miss is, yes, they can cover 
against one to one against they're taking the long side one to one against each naked short cell on the COMEX, but on on the other side, this leveraged market, on the other side, the unleveraged physical market is actually being affected by this because it's still driving the price lower. Regardless, this, this game of leverage is driving the price lower, which is driving huge demand in gold in every other currency, certainly in every other currency as the dollar's rising. I mean, pound gold hit March 2020, uh, March 2000. I mean, we had March um, highs in, in gold uh, being sold off in the 2000s in, in dollars. Well, pound gold hit that last Monday. Um, yeah, it's pulled back a little bit. And we tend to forget that, yes, while this game's going on in the casino, there's a real world out there. And the, the, the other counter markets are 10 times as large. And as you say, <laughs> no one knows what the hell is really going on there. Uh, and, and when I met with uh, Andrew Bailey, the, the head of the Bank of England, when he was the head of the F, 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 FCA, uh, he said, well, none of us know. Uh, it's an unregulated market. How would any of us know? So, so really, what, but what we, we can definitely see is that while this game is going on there, the real physical market, as you say, is draining the, the liquidity out of the paper market slowly, 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 which has to raise the price because in every other currency, everyone's racing into physical. And it's physical. It's not a paper game. It's physical. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, a lot of people kind of live on the edge of their seat on the COMEX numbers on a daily basis. And, I, you know, I stopped tracking it on a daily basis a while ago because a lot of, you know, I'm not sure how much I trust the accuracy of those reports given that it's the banks who put them together, right? And if, if the banks are reporting this part of their business honestly and ethically, it's the only part of their business they're reporting honestly and ethically, what are the odds of that? But I do think it, it can... You know, generally, what they, they have to report some semblance of, of the underlying trends on what's going on with the open interest and the positioning in the futures and what's going on with the, with the warehouse stock, right? What's in the vaults. And so, you know, a lot of people were kind of watching the, um, the, the bleed off in the registered designated accounts in the vaults, right? And the, the registered numbers have been coming down all year. And um, I'm like, no, 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 no. You got you got to watch the total amount because that eligible is is you know there's a very real fractional nature to that eligible, and and you know a lot of times if you're taking delivery on on the Comex and you're leaving your your metal in the vaults, you don't know if you're getting. Yeah, you might get a warehouse receipt, but so what? <laughs> Those are easy to replicate electronically, right? So you don't know if you're getting, you know, a bar that someone else has a claim on or if you're actually getting your own bar. So um, what I said is I want, I want to start to see the actual total amount of gold and silver leave the COMEX, right, and see those, the total numbers come down. And, you know, we're, we're starting to see that. Um, at the beginning of 2022, the in the in the gold vaults, there was 19 million ounces in the registered category and 39 million in the gold. And now, as of yesterday, there's 13 million. So six million ounces of gold have been moved out of the registered, but 13 million ounces have been moved out of the COMEX completely. So someone wanted that gold. And then, similarly with silver, and again, I think. 
the numbers that I can only recall off the top of my head, um, I have a spreadsheet that goes back to the beginning of the year on gold, but um, the numbers I can recall off the top of my head was that I think early in the summer this year, there was 70 million ounces in registered for silver, and I want to say 334 million ounces total, and uh, now it's down to 41 million ounces in the silver and 312 million ounces in total total silver reported in the COMEX vault. So, you know, you're starting to see, you know, is this is this the onset of Gresham's Law? <laughs> it, it certainly is. And I think this is why we, we and much like I'm sure you do, um, the opaque world of the gold market is far, far more opaque than the easier to read footprints of the much smaller silver market. And because it's so much, it's a, such a small world, we, we know very much who most of the players are. And, and so we can tend to track that. And it's really interesting because we see, we saw, and, and this, this exit of paper market liquidity, which is kind of what we're talking about here. And, and um, for example, in uh, the last Life on the Vault we did, which was back on the 21st of, of September, um, and what we said was we drew attention, we're trying to draw attention to public attention to the fact that there's such an easy arbitrage opportunity here where you literally take a silver contract, a futures contract, you buy it, immediately sell it into the over-the-counter market in London. And obviously you have to be, you, can't, you have to be an insider to do that or an international trader because no no uh, US trader is allowed to do that and so what you've done is you've 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 bought a chip closed it squared it and sold it into this now okay you're not actually this these traders are not they have no skin in the game other than to close the arbitrage opportunity so it started off with $1,000 per contract, then it moved down to 700, 600, 500. And, they, and within five days, after three full months of backwardations in silver, within five days, these guys, these sharks came in and literally closed that, closed that arbitrage opportunity down to square. And, and so, and, and this literally, we're just recording this on the 5th of October, but um, I just revealed today for the first time that the guys that came in, the crew that came in to buy silver and to close this arbitrage, uh, we call them the sharks, was a very large Indian outfit. And I wasn't allowed to talk about it until they closed the gap. And they closed that gap in five days. And they are now circling. I say they swam in the back door of the of the COMEX. They literally, these guys had never had any competition before. These guys were saying, well, we don't care what the price of silver is, but look at their spread. This is a bit like the IG9 trade, you know, where these guys didn't care about anything. They don't, they don't care if the price of silver goes up or down, but they just wanted to close that gap. So essentially what that did was force the price to higher because as this paper market liquidity comes out and yes, short term you're buying one you're closing it and then you're selling the other so it looks like it's going down but you're just essentially sucking out liquidity it's, it's a such an interesting you know dynamic that we're seeing right now well i mean they saw you know a manipulated divergence between two markets and 
they they basically profited by closing it, and they, you know it happened quickly. So, um, you know, I, I think at some point we're going to see something like that happen between the paper and the physical market. And you know, to me, that kind of speaks speaks to why maybe the banks are reducing their exposure to the paper short side in in on the COMEX. And actually, um, uh, the BIS, um, I, I don't know if you've ever interviewed Robert Lamborn, but I mean, he's, I mean, he makes a career now out of studying the BIS. <clears throat> and he reports every month on the, the swaps outstanding, the gold swaps outstanding. And uh, that the amount of swaps that they've done are, are out there now with from the BIS have come down dramatically since the beginning of the year and um, you know I was I exchanged some emails with him you know to try and flush out what's going on and the best that he can um, conclude is that the BIS what happens is the way the swaps operate is it leaves the BIS um, exposed to the short side to unallocated gold in London and he's, he thinks that the BIS, especially with Basel III kicking in, um, they don't want to be exposed to unallocated gold bars, which I, I can't blame them. Because <laughs> there's probably 10 other people <laughs> exposed to, to the same bars. <laughs> yes. He does some excellent work. So, you know, again, another example of, you know, at some point everyone comes at me like, when's the manipulation going to end? I, I can't deal with this sector anymore because it's manipulated and it's never going to end. And I'm like, you know, at some point the market's going to force the issue. So, you know, it's, it's just like the market forced the issue on the central banks to start hiking interest rates. You know, and, and you know, obviously the precious metals world, especially given the opacity of it at, at the big boy level, um, you know, it's, it's harder to read than, than the equity and bond markets. And, um, but you just know at some point there's going to be a, a dislocation that's going to correct the big uh, dispersion between the paper, paper side and the amount of paper outstanding versus the physical side and the amount of physical that's being demanded for actual delivery as opposed to leaving it in vaults in London and New York. Yeah, and you just you just pointed out the bottom line of it, which is look, the Bank of International Settlements, the the central bank of all central banks. Yeah, I, and I must agree. I haven't spoken to Robert Lambert myself, but I do follow his work. He does excellent work on this, and and really, it is exactly what we think's been happening too. Which is, why would the Bank of International Settlements instill Basel III NSFR standards? on all the banks, on the over-the-counter markets. Now you now have to have a T plus two hopper here. If you put a, a, a long position into that, T plus two, you have to have that backed up with physical should it be drawn out. So if it goes into GLD, oh, it's la la land. It never get, it's just, it's just more paper and you can short against it much like SLV you can. But, but they, the BIS in our view, uh, I don't know if you agree with this, but in our view, I don't think a single ounce, a physical ounce, has left their site account for at least two or three years, if not more. And what they do is just lay that liability onto the agent banks. And then, so really what they're trying to do is call in all this and square all this stuff up. And I think they need to do it before the end of the year. And I think that's why I think this fourth quarter is going to be quite bullish because, as you say, you've just, 
you've just discussed their footprints. Their footprints are their footprints. Why would they be closing down their these swaps and leases? Why would they be calling them back in? Yeah, okay, the physical never left. It just isn't there physical anyway. Um, but but that's interesting because people people should look beyond, as you say, beyond this this Comex world and look look at what's going on in situations like that as well. Good attention drawn to that, uh, Dave. So, um, if you want to circle back to the mining stocks. Um, yes, please. I, I do, because um, this is something we're going to get, I'm going to get told off if I don't let you speak about the miners. Goodness me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and it's, it's not all bad news with the miners. There's been a handful of stocks that have actually performed really well, um, you know, starting in the middle of the summer. So back in, I think it was probably June, maybe. Um, there's a company called New Gold, and its stock got battered. Which you know, these mining stocks, when they unlike tech stocks, which you know, up until the bubble pop, tech stocks they could report crappy numbers, and the stock would still go up. You know, these mining stocks, you know, they report something that just comes in line with expectations or disappoints a little bit, and they just get annihilated, and then they don't get rewarded for reporting good news. But um, there was a stock called Gold News that got blown up early in the summer and um, I told my subscriber base look it and it was trading in the 60 cent range US dollar denominated and I said you know look I, I think this thing's gonna trade back up to where it was before you know it started getting hit on earnings disappointments and some other one-time events that happened at their mine that you know it's the mining business that happens to every mining company um, where they have you know something that causes a snag in production that's explainable and very correctable and often is corrected by the next quarter, but the market doesn't want to hear that. They just bash it. So I just said, they're, they're going to get this corrected. And, you know, I think the stock trades back up to the mid 90 cent area by Christmas. Well, turns out I, I was, I was wrong. I mean, it hit a dollar last week. So, wow. um, you know, I was, I was targeting a 50% rate of return on the shares by the end of, you know, from, from say June to December, mid December. I mean, and the, the stock nearly doubled, you know, in, in a lot less time. So that's an example. Um, some of these, some, some other stocks like Anglo Gold and Goldfields, and I, I can't explain it yet, but, um, you know, those stocks started going up even before the whole sector started rallying last week. And, I mean, they've sprinted ahead on a percentage rate of return basis over the last week and a half. The rest of the sector and, I, and i'm not really sure i mean they are african-based miners but they you know they have you know global operations so i'm not i'm not really you know at first i was thinking oh well maybe it's a, a, a newfound appreciation for what's going on in west africa with gold mining and um it, there's there's got to be more to it than that so and i you know i think it's smart money coming in and accumulating these companies like new gold i think could get get taken over you know, at a, at a premium to where it's trading even now after it's rallied like it has over the summer. So, um, I, you know, I think, you know, what, what people in the audience who are interested in the money stock should do is, is just start looking at long-term charts, you know, and start with a chart that, that tracks the Amex Gold Bugs Index or the, um, the XAU back to, and I take it back to January 2001 because that's kind of where I mark the line of when the, the secular bull market that we're in began and you know and then 
run the ratio of, say, the S&P 500 versus the Huey or the XAU for that period of time. And you'll see that um, relative to, and you can do the same thing with, with treasure, you know, just take the 10-year bond price and run the same ratio. And you'll see that the mining stocks and really the whole sector, but especially the mining stocks, because the stocks since, I mean, really since 2011, the stocks have underperformed gold and silver. You know, and, and um, between then and now, that, that underperformance has gotten wider. So, you know, the mining stocks are, you know, pretty much historically cheap relative to financial assets, you know, stocks and bonds. And, and they're also historically cheap or, you know, close to historically cheap, maybe not quite as cheap as they were at the end of 2000, but um, relative to the prices of gold and silver. And so to me, and obviously... Silver is cheap relative to gold, um, and that's starting to get corrected. But, um, you know, for my money, if I want to put, you know, don't look for the bottom in the NASDAQ or, you know, whatever. You know, the stock market in general is not even close to bottoming. But if, if we're right about what's going on and we start to see the precious metals sector diverge positively from, from you know, the general stock markets, and I think there's a good probability of that happening. I'm not going to obviously guarantee it, but um, if that happens, I mean, there's there's some you can create wealth changing gains, lifestyle changing wealth gains, if you pick the right mining stocks right now and and just hold them for a while, you know, and don't worry about whether it's the bottom or not. You know, I always I always tell my subscribers, you know, it's also about capital management. So, you know, if you have a lot of cash looking to go somewhere, don't jump into, you know, a two times levered GDX ETF all at once. You know, don't throw all your money in that. Um, you know, don't take your favorite newsletter writer and, and take all your money and put it in the 10 cent stock that they say is going to go to a dollar. I mean, that may or may not happen. But the point is, you know, start start wading in. It's, you know, it's kind of like you, you wade into the ocean, right? At first you think it's cold and then it starts to feel warmer the further you, you, you get in. You know, that's how you got to, um, well, I think you should treat any stock market investment like that, but especially this sector because it's, it's more volatile, partly because of the manipulation than the general stock market. Um, but, you know, if, if you, you'll be rewarded if this is indeed a tradable bottom and an investable bottom. If, if you just, you know, wait in and not worry about catching the bottom and just keep adding as the price goes lower or keep adding as, as it looks, you know, if it looks like we're, you know, on a sustainable liftoff. So, and I, I wouldn't worry, again, I wouldn't worry about bottom ticking the market because if, if we're right about this trade, the mining stocks are so undervalued right now that, you know, if you miss the first 10% of a move in your favorite stock, so what? You still have, you know, 90% of that move left between where it is when you jump in it and where it ultimately is destined to go. So, um, you know, that's the way I'm kind of looking at it right now. It's such a specialized area. You know what? Um, I have, I'm, I'm in, kind of in awe of, of what you're saying because essentially this is, a this is like a massive algorithm. You, know, you, you need someone like yourself who has the experience you you know what you could somebody could look at the same thing as you, but you have when when you've got a deep amount of experience, 
something in your your head says it's an it's, it's probably an instinct it becomes such an algorithm where in your own mind where it's an instinct that you would know well this over this over this so i mean so really why would people enter this space unless they had good advice i mean for example um what, what would your use what would your your service cost for somebody i mean how much is that? I, I, I need to raise the prices, and a lot of my longtime subscribers are like, "You're, you know, you're, you're offering this too cheap." But um, it's it's twenty bucks a month. <laughs> no, I mean, well, you see, the thing is, I mean, you're talking about potentially wealth changing moments here by picking the right thing. I think people would be really silly to to. I mean, what's twenty bucks? I mean, it's going to get you a Starbucks and a McDonald's. You know, not even probably these days. So. Uh, certainly not in Switzerland. It's, it's sixty bucks. But <laughs> I have a feeling that I, you know, some people don't subscribe because they're like, "How can this be any good if it's <laughs> if it's only two hundred and forty bucks a year?" I mean, there's you know other services, and I'm not going to mention any names that you know fifteen hundred bucks a year, and it's just like, oh, okay, now it's time to buy Newmont. Okay, now it's time to sell Newmont. You know, I mean, why would you pay for that? Just buy GDX if you, if you you know if you want to be told when to buy Newmont. <laughs> well, well, Dave, I think that's really I think that's what people should do if, if people are interested interested in this space. And I know a lot of people are because we had a lot of questions, a lot of people asking you to come on. And and you know what? A lot of these probably haven't paid you twenty bucks to get this information. And I honestly strongly suggest, look, here's an opportunity. We're looking at the gold and silver markets. We're looking at definitely. This is a, a paper to physical divide. We've never seen it this, 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 this extended before. So from our side of the picture, we see uh, a huge uh, rally coming back. We see the Bank of International Settlements uh, squaring up their derivative positions. We see, uh, we see even in, in, the, in, in the nickel market, we see JP Morgan removing themselves out of the commodity sector there. They don't want to expose to this risk. They're all moving out of the silver sector. This is a bottom coming in. And, and so really miners to me, and, and everyone is telling me, really miners is where you should be because you're getting a double whammy there. And and they're so sold oversold, um, so I, I'm strongly suggesting people, you know, look, it's it's yes, it's about wealth preservation, and, and a lot of what our education is about wealth preservation, but this is about making money. And you're just talking about a, a, a stock that was at sixty cents that went to, to to a buck. I mean, well, I mean, say no more. I mean, I mean. What's 60 cents for God's sake? I mean, I, I don't know what sort of size people can buy at, but do people have people come to you and they just buy a few or do they buy a lot? What, what, what is it you kind of, do you have institutional guys? It just depends on, um, depends on the, the risk appetite of the specific subscriber and, and what their, you know, how much resources they have to devote towards the sector. So, you know, there's some guys that, you know, that, and I, I don't want my subscribers to tell me what their position sizes are. It's none of my business. No. Some of them, you know, will buy 100 or 200 shares at a time. And there's others that, that run five and six figure position sizes in, 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 in some of the individual stocks. So um, <clears throat> it's, it's just, it, you know, and again, I when I present an idea or update an, a, a, my, one, a stock that's in my portfolio of ideas, you know, I always say, you know, just, you know, I, I point out, look, this is where this stock is on the risk spectrum. So keep that in mind 
when you're making your investment allocation decisions. So, and I, I personally, I like to look for the home runs. You know, I'm looking for the stocks that aren't well covered by other newsletters or by Bay Street, Wall Street, Fleet Street, <laughs> or is it Fleece Street? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking, I try to, and it's harder to do because there's a lot more people looking at the sector now than there was 15 years ago, but you can still, you can still find ideas. I, a, a, a longtime colleague of mine um, begged me to look at, at a particular um, gold development project and I was like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I need to look at it. I've had subscribers asking me about it. And I started looking at it yesterday, and I'm like, holy crap, this thing's three or four bagger if we if we go into a bull move. So, um, and, you know, that's an example of a stock. And, and this stock's actually, it's, it's been out there forever, but it got the crap beat out of it over the last year. And now, like all the other great ideas that are sitting there waiting to be had, the low-hanging fruit waiting to be picked, this one's just sitting there. And... You know, I, I think this, like I said, I think over the next year, this could be a three or four bagger um, if, if you know, we are at a bottom and start moving higher. So, um, you know, either way, it's I think this stock has been beaten up so much, it's going to outperform the sector, even if the sector just goes sideways. I think this stock still moves higher. What I'm hearing here, Dave, is people need some expertise here. It's a minefield out there. You could be, you could, you could be, how would how would I mean I would not know I mean I just wouldn't know I mean I specialize and I think if you specialize in any one thing you become very good at it um, but but for for me to even conceive of well which would be the you know I it would be like me starting from scratch I think it's so important that somebody picks an expert picks somebody I mean for that kind of money I mean what, what's to lose you got nothing to lose so um, but I was going to ask you one one last question. Where do you have uh, any, because we have a lot of silver guys following us, huge amount of silver guys. Um, and and Sh Shane is the biggest silver guy I know. Um, just to please Shane alone, um, do you have, uh, where do you see silver in this mix as a miner or as you, you do follow them or, or simply where do you see the price? Big question. I mean... There's a lot to unpack there, actually, but I know it's a terrible one to finish on. I'll try and make it. I'll try and make it succinct. Um, I mean, obviously, in my opinion, silver is dirt cheap relative to gold right now. And you know, you just look at a a long, just go a twenty year chart of the gold silver ratio, right? And it looks like the gold silver ratio is rolling over. And you know, if it's and I haven't run it. I haven't run the actual ratio in the last few days, but where it looks like 85 or something right now, whatever it peaked, you know, in the mid nineties and it bottomed out in 2011. It bottomed out, I think at like 30, 31. And so I think, you know, again, if, if this is a bull cycle that we're starting in, I think that, uh, I think that the gold silver ratio is going to bottom out lower than where it bottomed in 2011 because all the factors that came together and 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 created what happened in the sector and in the markets back then they're even more intensified and bigger now so what you know why you know we had an extreme move to the downside in the sector why aren't we going to get an extreme move to the upside and if that's the case i mean silver is going to sprint sprint laps around gold now that's not to say that you should put all your eggs in the silver basket 
you know, I wouldn't do that because it's it's more volatile than gold, and you got to have a stronger stomach. And and also there's some there's some extremely undervalued gold miners out there. Also, the stock that I'm going to have in my next issue tomorrow is 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 a gold miner. So, um, and the the other issue with silver is there there's very few primary silver miners like that a majority of what they mine is silver but th there are some some junior exploration development companies and actually Silvercrest Metals um, most of their minerals they, you could call them a primary a true primary silver um, producer and, and they just started producing and they're ramping up and um, I mean the stock I had that I picked that stock at 16 cents in early 2016 I had to put it in my short sellers journal as a as a contra NYSE trade because I didn't have the mining stock journal yet, but I had to get the idea out there. So so I, I was on record, you know, saying, "Hey, I flagged this at sixteen cents, and it's been as high as eleven or twelve bucks, and it's wow. down to it's down to five eighty two, and I freaking missed it when it got down to five. I was busy doing, and I'm like kicking myself, but you know that's a stock that I think. You know, if if we're starting to take off, that stock could easily triple or quadruple from its current price now, and they're going to be producing a lot of high-grade silver down. You know, going forward. Um, so at, at any rate, you know, I, I I like this this the usual silver, you know, traditional silver stock names. A lot of them are now producing a majority of what they produce is gold, like Cordelline or Hecla. Um, Fortuna, Fortuna Silver, and it's another extraordinarily undervalued stock right now. Um, but I think to, to really to get the real benefit of what's going to happen in silver, you need to find the silver, I call them development, micro-cap venture capital companies, the ones that have a project that they're advancing and they're still in the early stages. And the market cap, you know, might be $10 million, it might be $30 million, but if if they're successful at flushing out an economic deposit i mean you're looking at 10 baggers and if silver if silver does what we think it could do you know some of these stocks are you know they're going to completely change your lifestyle if you have enough enough shares and and you don't need to make you know you don't need to put 50% of your investable wealth in that i mean you could you know if you got a couple ideas that you think are going to be Grand Slam home runs, you know, throw 10% in there in both stocks or whatever. And, um, you know, you're going to make more money than you ever thought was possible, even versus chasing the dot-com stocks. You know, that sounds an awful lot of work there, Dave. And I would I would get people to employ you to do it for them because <laughs> you could probably spend at a wealth, you could probably spend, you know, every hour of your waking day and night trying to filter through this stuff. I think what I, my bottom line that I'm trying to say is you got go to an expert uh, like Dave here uh, and, and just, you know, if you're going to invest in an area, you need some guidance. You need someone who knows you know, instinctively what to look at, what not to look at. You probably eliminate nine-tenths of it before you even get to what you would like to really look at in detail. So I would strongly suggest people do find you. Uh, we will put the link in, um, Dave, and um, for, for your great service. And I certainly am going to sign up because it's interesting. I want to learn more about it myself. And... Um, you know, as if I haven't got my, enough time in my hands anyway. But I, I know. But it, it, again, that's the whole point. I don't have the time, and um, and so therefore, I would, I will definitely do that. 
Um, so I'm going to strongly suggest that everyone does that. I do thank you for sharing so much of your precious time today, um, Dave. And, and please, you know, come back again. Um, you know, we'd like to have you on a regular basis and uh, to update us on all these things. But thank you. Sure. Anytime. Thanks for having me back on again. It's it's always educational for me just to listen to you, especially with what's going on in, in the London market. Well, thanks. And uh, see you again soon. All right. Thank you, Andrew McGuire and David Kranzer. It's always amazing to have you on on this uh, episode, on another episode. Thank you so much for that fascinating discussion. And remember, everyone, buy physical and understand the difference between what Andy affectionately calls the casino paper gold and silver markets and the actual physical gold and silver markets. They're not the same. Don't be fooled. And there you have it. That's all we have for you today on another episode of Live from the Vault. You know, please help. Keep spreading the word about this channel by hitting the like button. Share this information with everyone you know and make sure you are subscribed. If you want to be notified in real time as each episode goes live, just hit that bell and there you have it. So with that, we'll see you next time on Live from the Vault. See you then. <laughs>